Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have a great show. I always say that, but this is a great show because it's unexpected. It's a surprise show, and we're very honored to have the guests that we have today. But first, joining us is my husband, Noah. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. I love hearing your voice. I think you do too. <laughs> I know. I drag him in. He's like, I'm not the one who wants to tell a story, but he's awesome. And you add so much to the show, and you are an awesome adoptive dad. And so I think other adoptive dads need to hear you. Well, I appreciate being here. So I want to talk a little bit about our story. If you follow us on podcast, then you know that we have four adopted children. Our last adopted child was a complete surprise. It is a sibling to our youngest daughter. And we didn't know if we were going to get the baby. And it turned out that we didn't think we were. And so we kind of let it go. And in the last minute, she went into labor and social services was involved, a new lawyer was involved, a new agency. I mean, so many things came together and we had to make decisions really fast. And it looked like she was going to place with us. And so the baby was going to be born in Florida and we're in Colorado. So we're like, what are we going to do? And Noah's trying to figure everything out and trying to get a plane ticket. And there were none. None. We got a call March 28th at 11 o'clock at night saying the baby was going to be delivered we kind of went to bed thinking, eh, we still don't know for sure if this is going to happen. And then we got a call from the lawyer the next morning, like, get out here now. Birth mom is ready to sign paperwork. So we frantically looked everywhere. We found a last minute flight. I have no idea how that even happened. Got you on a plane. It was a miracle. I mean, honestly, I always say this to adoptive families. And if you are an adoptive family and you're going through it right now and you might feel like everything is up in the air, just take a breath and really take in the journey because you don't know who you're gonna meet in the process. And the coolest part of this last minute ticket is I got to sit next to Victor Mitchell. And Victor Mitchell was talking to his son on the phone and I was huddled in a corner just thinking, no one talk to me. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if we're gonna get this baby. If we do get the baby, this might be my last chance to sleep. So I am just going to not look at anyone and not be friendly at all. <laughs> and so we flew the whole way. And right before we landed, Victor said, are you going on vacation? And I'm like, no, I'm going to adopt a baby, I think. And he started asking me all these questions. And the crazy part is that Victor Mitchell is a very successful entrepreneur. He sat on state representative for Douglas County and Teller County here in Colorado. And now he is running for governor of Colorado, and he joins our show today. Can you believe it, Victor? It really was meant to be. Sorry for putting you through the Spanish Inquisition on the plane, but I think we got through it okay, but I couldn't be happier uh, to be here with you today, April, and it's a pleasure getting to know you and your family and husband and just amazing what you guys are doing. I can't recall him meeting anyone that's done what you and in my entire life. I'm adopting all these incredible kids, these kids at risk, and you take them and make them part of your family. You become part of your family and giving them a whole new life. I think it's really God's work you guys are doing. You're so encouraging. You were so encouraging on that plane. And what you probably don't know is as a mother who was stressed out thinking, what am I about to go into? You don't know what the hospital is going to do. You don't know what the mom is going to do. You just don't know when you're going to 
see your family again, really. I mean, you get off the plane, you don't know how long you're going to be stuck in the other state. And you were so encouraging. You were asking me all these questions. You were telling me that what I was doing was amazing. And sometimes parents just need to hear that. They need to hear that you are doing something so extraordinary by saying yes to adoption. And although as adoptive parents, we don't feel like heroes and we don't go out and and adopt for that reason, but it's so encouraging when you talk to somebody on the outside and they say, keep going, you can do this. I'm like, okay, I felt so encouraged. I called Noah. I said, I just met the nicest person. You didn't even tell me who you were. You didn't tell me your job. I didn't, I don't think I asked you any questions. You were asking me all the questions. And I just felt really encouraged when we looked you up. It was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And this is God. Because I often tell families, if you are in the process of adoption, know your state law. And also use politicians if you can. If you have a connection and you get into a place where you need extra help, They're there to help you. Our politicians need to care about adoption. Adoption is a $12 billion industry. That means there are a lot of adoptive parents. And so we're needing a voice. And you sound like you want to be that voice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, who could be against adoption? And I was so interested in all the different experiences you've had and you shared with me about how difficult it is to adopt in Colorado. I mean, we need to make adoption final and binding. It shouldn't be this difficult. We should also encourage young mothers that are unexpectedly have a pregnancy and we should encourage adoption over abortion. Most importantly, we need to strengthen the laws. There's good models from what you've been telling me about in Utah and in Florida and other states that simply have more effective adoption laws and make it easier for parents that are looking to adopt. Now you have experience with adoption, correct? Not directly. My sister adopted two children and her experience with adoption is similar to yours. She was very worried about uh, parents coming back or relatives coming back into the picture. So she ended up adopting out of the country. She ended up adopting two Russian children who are thriving today, absolutely thriving. She gave them a whole new life. They're just remarkable kids. I see them regularly, and they're doing fantastic and very American. Yes, yes. <laughs> You would never even know they came from a different place. I mean, it's just remarkable. I, mean, I just uh, think it's amazing. We hear so much about foster care. We, My sister is also very involved in foster care. She has a foster child right now, a 17-year-old girl she's had. She was only supposed to have for six months, and she's had her now for three years. So um, my sister is very involved. At some point, I'd love for you to get my sister on your show. I think she'd be very interesting to many of your listeners. We would love to have her on the show, and we'd love to talk about that process because I'm sure while you were watching her, you were thinking... Why is it so difficult to bring home children that don't have parents? It seems like it would be easy for a family to connect like that, and it's not. It's so true, and it's so worrisome. I mean, when a child bonds with their adopted parents, it should be final. And then the idea that somebody can come in later after the fact and disrupt the family order and cause all these problems, all these chaos and trouble for both the parents and for the children— is worrisome that this could even happen in modern times. I mean, adoption should be final and binding. When an agreement is made and both parents have signed off on it, that should be the end of the story. I mean, this the idea that all these parents can come back in and try to unwind these adoptions, you know, no wonder why so many parents choose to adopt elsewhere. And, and we have so many opportunities to adopt children here in this country. Absolutely. It is very difficult, and especially in Colorado. And so this show is really dedicated to educating 
the listener about Colorado and also about your state. We obviously don't know all your state laws, but in Colorado, Noah's going to talk a little bit about that, but state law says that a birth parent has up to six months to change their mind. That is why Noah and I decided to go out of state. We did not like Colorado law. We went through two adoptions here. One we finalized, but for six months I was stressing, thinking, is an aunt going to come out or a grandma? Could somebody take this baby? And the baby had already attached to us. This was our son. And so at six months, that would not have been healthy for the child. Absolutely not. I mean, it's clearly, I mean, the child's bonding with you. You're bonding with the child. It would be highly disruptive to have them unwind. And I, I don't understand the significance of the six-month waiting period or cooling off period. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If both parents have signed off on it, there's been no duress, everything has been on the up and up, these adoptions must be final. From my understanding, the way you've explained it to me in other states such as Utah and Florida, the adoption laws are different. Maybe you can explain the differences between Colorado and some of these other states. Yeah, the, the biggest difference really is that six-month window. And the crazy thing, that's expedited. That's the shortened version. That's for a, a child who's one year or younger. There's a regular version of the same thing, and that's especially like in foster care, where now it can be extended even longer than six months. There's really no time frame. So the reason that Colorado allows that is... The way that they interpret the law is they view adoption, especially in foster care, as the final failure of the state, right? Because their goal is to reunite birth parents and their kids, which I understand that idea, but there's so many different scenarios that come up that that's not the right answer. And so when you're seeing that interpretation of the law, that's why there's such a long period of time, even for this expedited six-month window, because just in case there's a family member There could be a birth father who wasn't originally notified that can come into the equation. I mean, there's so many different things where Florida is literally 48 hours after the birth mom has had the baby. She can sign relinquishment papers. At that point, the only two things she can do to recover or to get the child back is to prove fraud or duress. That's it. And obviously it makes sense to have both parents sign off on the relinquishment. You know, as April said earlier, adoption needs to be final. It needs to be final. I mean, once those paperwork, it's just not fair to the adopting parents. It's certainly troublesome for the child. It couldn't be in their best interests when a child has been legally adopted, everything has been done properly, all parents have been notified and signed off on it, that somehow this could be unwound. Well, that's what we really need to be looking at is the child. Let's say a mother really wants her child back. And I always say this, I always make a caveat for this because we don't want to steal children from mothers. I mean, we don't want to adopt a child that's not our child. We want them to be put back together. We want families to thrive together. Absolutely. But when a mother has signed the paperwork and said, I have decided to relinquish, I, I have decided on adoption for my child, there needs to be something in place so that as a parent, we can get them to attach quickly. If a child does not attach and is pulled from one caregiver to another caregiver, what that looks like in a child is devastating. That child then, as an adult, suffers in their career, a lot of times in relationships, because if you don't have that trusting relationship with a parent or with a guardian, you don't trust other people. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's the right of the child. It's the advocacy for the child, where even in the state of Florida, when we finalize the adoption, the way that the judge even announces the adoption is so different than here in Colorado because of how they view it. 
the judge in Florida said to us, from this day forward, it's as if this child has always been yours. There is no intermediary time frame where it was just relinquishment of rights. It's literally the child has been yours since the beginning. Now, some people don't like that. I just have to say that again, because some birth parents are like, well, no, I cared about this child and I cared about this child so much that I picked the family and placed my child. And I don't want a state to say that they were always yours. They weren't. They were mine for nine months. And I respect that. There's a level of understanding both sides. And there is understanding through the show where we talk to birth parents and we talk to adoptive families. And so I really feel a lot of compassion for what is right in that. And so some people would say, well, that is way too far. I don't think a judge should say that. And that's fine. But what we are saying is when a child is placed in Colorado and you wait for six months, a lot of families can't handle that. They can't do it. And so they go out of state. And you know what that means? That money is going out of state. Anything that we do with adoption now is less here in Colorado because we aren't supporting our adoptive families. It's actually, I think it's even worse than that because these children ultimately are going to end up in all likelihood probably in foster care or in a situation where it's not healthy for the child, where the parents either cannot afford to take care of them or even something worse. So we have to strengthen our laws here in Colorado. And you'd be a terrific advocate for this. I mean, I think this is really an educational issue. When I served in the legislature, I can't recall in all the committees I served on any issues coming up around adoption. It's not something widely discussed. I think it's an educational opportunity. And I think where there's a great amount we can learn from these other states that got it right. But it is a fundamental difference between these kids who are generally high-risk kids and getting them out of a high-risk environment with, of course, the consent of the parents, willing and able, no duress. But if we can accomplish that, there's no reason with these kids, we can save these kids. We can get these kids into healthy homes, and these kids in all likelihood will do better in an educational environment. They'll do better long-term. They'll have more trusting relationships, as you said, more healthy overall relationships. So this is a matter of just getting out in front of people and really leading us an effective public awareness campaign on how important this is and what we can do, not only strengthening the adoption laws, but encouraging young mothers who have an unexpected pregnancy to go the route of adoption in lieu of the route of abortion. There's a tremendous opportunity there as well. Literally thousands of families here in Colorado would love to adopt a child from Colorado. Absolutely. And we want to promote that as a show and as an adoptive family, we want to promote that and say, our state will support you. Our representatives will support you. Our governor, he will support you. So you don't have to be afraid if you go forward. And there are bumps in the road always. And there are moms that change their mind and they decide to parent and we want to honor them because if you choose to parent, that is great. But if you choose to parent six months down the road, you're doing something really damaging to your own child and you're ripping them away. And oftentimes they're ripped away and then given to a grandmother. I had a woman contact me and she said that she was with an agency. The baby was born. The baby was placed with her by the agency. Mom signed off. She took the baby with her husband. The birth father said, I did not know that she was pregnant and that she had given birth. The birth father is in jail And the state is giving him all rights to fight for custody. He's going to be in jail in federal prison for the next 25 years. He cannot raise this child. So he's called grandma. He's called aunts. He's called anyone he can 
to now show up in court and say, okay, we'll take the child. The child has been with her for a year. They've been fighting this. The agency won't hand it over to the state because they don't want the child to be in the state custody. So that means that this family has paid over 30000 in legal rights to keep this child. And it looks like coming up in fall, the grandmother is going to have rights. That is unbelievable to me. The first thing I said to her is you have to call your state representative. You have to get everyone to know this story. This cannot be happening, first of all, on the money. You should not be paying that much money to be fighting for this child. The state has to get involved and figure out what they want to do. Secondly, we need to look at the child. The child is now bonded to you. This child doesn't know his grandmother. And his dad's in jail, and the mom is saying, no, I want the child to be with this adoptive family. And it's become this huge, explosive thing. And what adoptive families don't realize is that they have a right to go to representatives. They have a right to write a letter to the governor. Let's talk about that. What is that process like? You know, you'd have to study the laws on what the laws are, and it ultimately have to go in front of a state judge and possibly a family court judge to determine how binding the adoption agreement was. But more importantly, just putting the law aside, what you're all really talking about is the welfare of the child. Mm -hmm. And that really should trump in these situations. So once an adoption has occurred, these adoptions have to be stable where they can be relied upon. But the other thing, too, is is that all you have to do is look at the data of what happens to children that ultimately go into foster care. Mm -hmm. It's terribly alarming. It's so sad. So many kids bounce around in foster care They have abysmal rates of both high school and graduation grades, much more likely to suffer from mental illness and other problems. So these are just different things that are coming up. We have to think about it from a society standpoint as well. No one's looking to strip away a grandmother's right. Right. I mean, no one's looking to take a parent's right away. But once, you know, it goes back to these adoption rules. And that's why I think we need advocacy. We need somebody that understands it better. We need somebody that cares about this issue. My wife and I are practicing Catholics. We obviously don't believe in abortion, but this is one example that so much good can come of encouraging young people not to have abortions. And by bringing more awareness to adoption, I think we're moving the needle in the right direction. I agree. You and I have talked a lot about that. And Noah and I have talked a lot about that, just about promoting adoption and telling adoption stories, which is what we're doing. But a woman should have a right to know what she could do for another family. And a lot of women are not thinking about that. They're thinking, I'm pregnant and I need to not be pregnant. And I can't tell my family, and this is too much for me to think about that. But also long-term effects of the decision to have an abortion versus the long-term effects of placing a child into a family and being able to gift a child to a family that can't have children We need to do more research on that. We need to do more campaigns on that. We need to bring that to light and really consider the birth mother to be someone who could change somebody's life. Absolutely. And I think that the birth mother should have the opportunity to be compensated for their medical care, possibly even compensated for any legal costs that they have to give up the child for adoption. It should, again, it should be in the full light of day. We should have all of the uh, family members sign off where appropriate, most especially the mother and the father. But there's so much that can be done and should be done. As we said earlier, I mean, there's a tremendous opportunity to reduce the number of abortions in our state and increase the number of adoptions as we bring this more into the light of day. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Victor Mitchell, candidate for governor. He has a very interesting story. And if you hear it, you will understand why he cares so much about adoption. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back.
This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Are you enjoying the program today, but wonder how you can hear more stories about the joys and challenges of adoption? Good news. Adoption Now is available on podcasts through iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. We download a new show weekly, allowing you access to every story we've shared. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's story as we get back to the host of the show, April Fallon. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We want to hear your story. Do you have an adoption story? Please email me at april at adoption-now.com. This show is dedicated to giving adoption a voice. Don't be afraid to speak out. Together, we can inspire others. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Victor Mitchell, candidate for governor. We're very excited to have him on the show. Noah joins us. Victor, I love your story. You haven't told it yet, but I'm excited for you to tell it because when I'm sitting on a plane and I'm meeting you as I'm about to go adopt a baby and you're asking me all (laughs) these questions, I thought this guy has to have a story because he is very compassionate and he cares about children and he cares about really people in need and something in your life must have happened to get you to that place. And then you started to tell me your story and you're going to tell it today, but it's unbelievable what you came from. (laughs) I don't know how unbelievable it is, but I mean, I've had some adversity in my life. I've had a great life, but, um, at the age of 11, uh, my mother left my father. So we were living as a family. Uh, I have two older sisters and we were living as a family in, uh, New York. And right after my 11th birthday, my mother, who's 90% blind and deaf, said um, she's leaving the family. And within a day or two after, she moved cross-country to California. So I left my uh, two older sisters behind at age 11 and uh, moved to California to take care of her. She's a very uh, prideful woman. She still lives today. She's 82. And she didn't like taking anything from anyone. So um, we struggled. I mean, we moved more than a dozen times over the next seven years. We were almost homeless several times. And I started working at age 13, product of the public schools, made my way through public schools, eventually public university, and then uh, started my first company when I was 21. But she taught me a lot about overcoming great amount of adversity. I know a lot what it's like to be marginalized, but I also know what it takes to be successful and to overcome adversity. And it sounds like many of your listeners are probably going to have to deal with some struggles and tribulations when it comes to adoption, because there's just so many roadblocks, unexpected roadblocks, and it's kind of the par for the course from everything you've told me with your various different experiences. Now, you've adopted, amazingly, seven children. We've attempted seven. You've attempted seven, and you've adopted four. Yes. I mean, that's just remarkable. So you, you must have a lot of perseverance in your lineage as well. That's one thing when you become a survivor, you know, it's, uh, you become tougher, you become more resilient uh, to come overcome adversity. And so I'm sure you can relate as hopefully many of your listeners can as well. But there's a lot of pride you take when reflecting on overcoming a, a great deal. And I think that's right. I think you have more empathy for others. I've been traveling all around the state for the last five months, and we, we've already done almost 150 events already. And the places I seem to really enjoy the most are rural parts of Colorado that are really economically challenged, to say the least, where they have very limited economic, private economic opportunities. We have 
some counties in our state that are extremely poor. I mean, we have one county, many of your listeners probably never heard of it. It's called Crowley County. It's east of Pueblo. And they have very, very low incomes there, very small houses they live in. Many, about a fourth of their population are in prison. I mean, this is in Colorado. This is, you know, a couple hours outside of Denver. Felt like a third world country. So helping these people and talking about economic development in their communities seems to really resonate with what they're feeling, especially when they hear that it's very possible. Somebody that, you know, what I've had to overcome in my life, they can too. If you can do it, then anyone can do it. How do you teach success? How do you teach success? Well, that's tough. I mean, I think the biggest factor of success is perseverance. It's time on task. It's uh, not letting anybody defeat you if they tell you no. I've had a very quick story. And when I sold my company in 1995, I sold my company in 1995 to Verizon. And they told me, you know, I, I shared this business plan I had, this business plan, and they said, it'll never, ever work. It'll never, ever work. And I said, why is that? And they said, because the service providers will never agree. It's a complicated business model. It's a telecommunications company. And the independent retailers will never sign up. They want too much autonomy. Well, it ended up becoming one of the most successful. I was founded here in Colorado in Centennial in January 96 and became one of the largest, most successful private telecom companies in the country operating in 30 states. But so many times I've been told that my whole life, even my current business today, how we were a disruptive financing company that we displace banks. And uh, so many people told me the same thing as well. So for all your listeners out there, you're going to have roadblocks in this adoption process. It's just, you know, it's God's way of testing you <laughs> to see what you're made of because you're going to have roller coasters once you adopt the child and, uh, you know, all the trials and tribulations of uh, raising a young child mm-hmm. and then making poor choices <laughs> as much as you hate them to do keeping you up late at night and having meltdowns in the cars and everything that goes with being a parent. <laughs> so true. I think <laughs> one of my favorite parts of who April is and, and how she's really brought her position on this show is just that she gets knocked down and she gets right back up again. And something that she's been able to teach me in my life and how you, like you said, seven adoption attempts, right? That's a lot. That is and a that's lot. a lot of emotional stress. That's a lot of financial burden it's just a lot to take on. And I think it's easy to sometimes forget that too, how difficult that can be, especially when you see these darling faces in the four children that we do have. And I think that's what can really carry you through at times too, is at the end of the day, you see the joy that these children bring and the blessing that they are to us. It's not just that we get to do this great thing, but that they really teach us. They help us grow. They help us learn more than I could ever imagine. We were just going through our finances and learned that we had spent over $100,000 on adoption costs. And there's, I'm not going to lie, and those of you that are listening to this and you know how much money you spent on losses, it's wonderful when you bring home the child. It's worth it. But it is so devastating when you spent 20000 and you did not bring home the child and the agency is not going to give you that money back. Or you've given it to the birth mother and it's gone and you have an empty cradle, that is really hard to get back up from and to say yes. And I remember times when we thought we're done and then you get the call again and you're like, okay, we'll try it again and we'll try (laughs) to figure out this money and we'll try to fundraise or we'll pull from savings or we'll do whatever, we'll refinance on our house, whatever it takes, we'll do it. And we show up and that's the perseverance that you're talking about. And you know, people are like, how did you get four? babies. Well, because we just kept getting back up again. And because we believe that these children are meant to be ours. And so when you know that you know 
that you can do something, that you're called to do something, and that something great is inside of you, you just keep going. And so maybe some of you are listening, you need that encouragement. You need somebody to just say, you've got it in you to do this, keep going. And there had to have been something for you as a little guy moving all over the place with your mom that you knew something inside of you was great. It's really funny because when I grew up and I have so many clear memories of growing up and walking to school, and of course I was a latchkey kid, so my mom would try to get a job or she would try to do different odds and end things and often come home, I was the only one home. But those types of things, it gives you a lot of time to reflect as a young child and observe and become more curious. But it's also, there's a, a degree when you're marginalized, there's a degree of humiliation mm-hmm. to the process too. And once you overcome it, mean, obviously I wouldn't want to re-experience that again, but I think that's just kind of formed me who I was. I mean, uh, it made me become later much more focused in the different tasks I undertook. I mean, there wasn't a lot of uh, margin of error. I had to get it right when I started my first company when I was 21. You know, I had a math calculus teacher, their geometry teacher in high school that said to me in front of, I was pretty much working the whole time. So I'd come in late the next morning. It was my first period of the day. And, and he said, Mitchell, what are you going to do after high school? And I said, you know, I'm going to go on to college. I'm going to go to state university. And he says, and he said this in front of the whole class. He goes, I have a prophecy for you, Mitchell. He goes, you never called me by my first name. And he said, uh, you're either going to be a millionaire or in jail. That's my prediction for you, Mitchell. Wow. No in between. Nothing in between. And you're the 16, 17-year-old kid. I was probably 17 at the time. And the whole class is looking at <laughs> You just want to bury yourself. But the little things like that, you know, it's hurtful. It's painful looking back on it. But it actually forms your character. It forms mm-hmm. your resolve. I mean, I look at there's so many great stories of human adversity. Look at the work you did in Africa. I mean, you just remark, you were telling me about some of the things you've done in Africa. I'm very fascinated with the uh, African continent and all the different civil wars they have. And yet the people there are extraordinarily happy and appreciative. We spent a few, I guess it's been about six or seven years when we, we went to six or seven countries in the southern portion of the continent and some of the happiest, nicest, most appreciative people living in poverty. I mean, squalor in many cases. So um, there's some kind of a human gene that makes you who you are and forms you. And frankly, we need a little more of that here in Colorado. Wouldn't you agree that our kids, we have a lot of helicopter parents that are giving their kids a trophy for everything. That's not the way it was when I grew up. (laughs) Don't get Noah started on that. That'll be a soapbox, a whole nother show. (laughs) I mean, both of us have started from nothing. We both have in our past, you know, we, we didn't have money handed to us, nor do we have any rights handed to us. And I think that we have come together and really fought for humanity, for the good. And what you said about Africa is so true. Being with the people, they had nothing and they were so loving and kind. And often in my sad times through adoption, I've gone back to that time and been like, you know, they didn't have anything. And they, they suffered loss beyond what we could even conceive Mm-hmm. because of poverty and because they can't feed their children or they can't give them the medical needs that they deserve. And so the child does not survive. And I just think like, they are so wonderful. I can find that in me. I can, I can find the good. And one thing about not having anything is you also risk more because you're not afraid to not have anything, right? Because you've you're been so there. so right about that. And you look at our society today, most especially our elected officials. Have you ever seen such risk-averse politicians as we have today? 
I mean, they lack creativity, they lack imagination, but most especially they're entirely risk averse. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running for office, because I think it's so important to have somebody that's a, an outsider, a problem solver, somebody that is not indebted to the special interest groups and actually is not going to run for another office. My vision is that I would serve hopefully for two terms and then I'll go right back into the private sector where I came from. And that's what our founding fathers actually intended when they set up this form of government. You aren't fear-based for sure. And I think anyone that does anything great cannot be fear-based. There is no room for fear because you have to go forward. And we talk about that a lot in adoption as well. If somebody has a hesitation, either in this marriage, maybe one spouse is like, I don't know if we could do it. Don't do it because you have to be completely fearless to make this choice. It is really hard when you start a business fearless, because if you're afraid you're going to fail, you probably will. And you're worried about what other people think about you. And I think when you grow up in adversity, when you grow up in a place where you have nothing, you grow up in a place where you're marginalized in some way, you learn to get really thick skin. And you say, you know, even if I fail and everybody sees it, I've been there before and I can get back up and I can encourage other people to do that. And I think that's what you'll do. I think that you will be a governor that will encourage other people to take risk be not fear-based. And if they do fail, we're getting back up. We're going to be a state that perseveres. We're going to be a state that takes a little bit of risk so that we can see success. Frankly, my life experience has been that the more you fail, way more you learn. You know, as long as you don't repeat the same mistakes over, there's a great amount of knowledge you gain from trying different things, refining things. I mean, I, I've taught at CSU last year in their business college. I formerly taught at my alma mater in California as well. And what I learned when I taught at the graduate level, I taught a course in entrepreneurship. So many of these kids, so many of them want to be business owners and entrepreneurs. But the commitment, my lessons are, is you're going to have to take chances no matter how well-defined your business plan might be. It's never going to be perfect. It's probably not even going to be half right. I mean, there's just market forces. So everything is so multivariable in a modern economy that you're going to have to be very adaptable. You're going to have to be able to shift. You're going to have to be your own toughest critic. These are the kinds of things. But we also have, in all fairness, we have had a tremendous amount of regulation burden in our state of Colorado. I was looking at something. We've had 120,000 pages of new rules, regulation, pages of regulations in Colorado since 2010. 120,000 pages wow. of rules. And this is a relatively small state of 6 million people. We had, what, 5,000 businesses close their doors, I think, in 2014 alone, the most recent year they've reported it. We have a modern economy works very different today than it did even five or 10 years ago, a modern economy today is somebody that might have a semi-full-time job getting health benefits and moonlighting as an Uber driver. Maybe they're fixing and flipping a house. Maybe they're working as a graphic artist or even a nurse practitioner. Those other jobs, we've got to get regulations off their bag and understand how people can do better, provide better for their families. So ultimately, they'll go into these other fields and start small businesses. And that's how so many small businesses are formed. It's not something they just had an epiphany one day. It's often something led to something else. Mm -hmm. But we've got to get roadblocks out of the way where people will go out and take chances again, as you said, and make things happen. And you were gotten a little divergent from adoption, but these are really important subjects, hopefully, for your listeners as well. I think it actually ties in great with adoption because one of the biggest fears is fear of loss, fear of pain, right? And I think what you were saying earlier with government officials now, you look at anything that comes down, there's so much fear of pain that they don't want change because change, right, makes people feel uncomfortable. And I think even the, the younger generation that's coming up is so afraid to experience pain. I know in my own life, that's how I was kind of raised too, right? It's, it's, 
this idea of the parents will protect because they don't want to see their kids experience pain, which I get. But at the same time, there comes a place where you, you grow up and you learn. And I think the greatest learning you can actually experience is through adversity and pain, right? It's not through the good times. It's through the difficult times. And so in adoption, the reason that we continue to get up is not because we think it's going to be a great experience all the time. We know it's not going to be, but because we know that if we continue to get up, that God is going to bless us because we know that this is the call for our lives, right? We know that this is what we're supposed to do no matter what. So that fear of the pain, the fear of adversity is able to be pushed aside. And, and I think your platform would be just that to encourage people to say, hey, look, it doesn't mean you won't experience pain. That's not a promise that you want to make. It's not a promise you can make, but it's something that people can really latch onto and say, this is somebody that I want representing me in my state. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd describe it as pain. I'd describe it as adversity. Yeah. I mean, you have adversity. You're going to have setbacks, but that's okay. I mean, that's perfectly okay to have setbacks in life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a healthy experience. It's part of who we are as people, as humans, and as Coloradans. We're rugged as Coloradans. We can move forward. But the notion that we're going to be, you know, we have so many people today now that want to work for government in lieu of working in the private sector. In 30 years as an entrepreneur, I've never experienced so much seeing that. So people think they can actually do better long term working for the state government. Well, the state government doesn't create any wealth for anybody. It's a transfer of wealth from the private sector into the government. We've got to have people feel that they can provide and do well for their families, have rewarding work in the private sector. Well, we definitely need to feel like we are being supported in the adoption community. And I think the adoption community is much bigger than most people think. And we are growing and we're growing fast. And we need to feel like we can encourage other people to get involved. If you want to bring home a child, if you want to work with the state and bring home a foster child, they will support you. And currently right now, you talked a little bit about adversity, Noah, and I would say the biggest growth in our marriage and also for you personally was when we tried to adopt a little boy here from the foster care system. Although it was private infant adoption, the mother signed everything. The child was placed with us. We found that she was abusing him. We took him to children's and we felt like, of course, we've taken him to children's and we're doing the right thing and, and the state will come in and support us. I mean, we're the parents right now. Well, she came and found out and she didn't want the state to find out that she had been abusing him because she didn't want to lose her daughters, which she had lost previously. So she showed up at the hospital and the state didn't know really what to do. The paperwork had not gone to court, but even if it had, she has six months, right? So she comes and she's fighting and she's saying, no, this is my son. And they're like, oh my goodness, she's been abusing him. So they have to separate her. But ultimately they were like, there's nothing we can do for you. You have to go home. So we left. I remember walking out with the car seat. It was one of the worst days of our lives. The empty car seat. The empty car seat. And we were then summoned to court to testify against her. And when we showed up, They said to us, this was the most devastating thing. They said, if she decides to go forward with an adoption or if the state decides it's an adoption, it's a failure on our part. And we're like, we're willing to parent this nine-month-old child that has been abused. And if he comes with us, it's a failure on your part. Where is he going to go? 
He bounced around in foster care for four and a half years. At that point is when we said we are not going to deal with Colorado. We'll go to a different state. And that makes me sad because there's a lot happening here and there's a lot of need here. And I want to be able to stand strong and say there are people here that will support you. And we support adoption in Colorado. And that's what I'd love to see you make a difference and make that change happen and hear our voices. I might be the only one right now speaking out, but there are so many people that could tell you their nightmare stories that have happened in this state. And we have to do something to change that because we have to change it for children. We have to make sure that they're getting homes and being placed. And I'm just excited that you are hearing what I'm saying and you're listening and you're going to make a change. That's a heartbreaking story. And that's why these stories are so challenging because they're very nuanced and there's a lot of details to them. That particular story is just heartbreaking that a child somehow could, after a binding adoption had already occurred, somebody come back into your life, take the child away, most especially in this instance where the child is actually being abused. It's just heartbreaking. And I don't understand there's a human component to government and we've got to get more competent people, but most especially we got to get sensible laws on the books that will make sure that adoption is final and it is a binding and you're not having to look over your shoulder all the time as to where somebody's going to claw back in or crawl back into your life and try to unwind something. But, you know, it sounds to me that you've uh, overcome that. I mean, you've had now yes. four successful adoptions. It's pretty remarkable. And stayed married. <laughs> well, you guys are the cutest couple I've ever oh, seen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely a beautiful couple, beautiful Thanks. family. We work through a lot. It has not been easy. I would anyone. bet you that your marriage has never been stronger because to go through what you guys have gone through, I can't imagine. I mean, you've come yes. together. You're a team. We are. We are. And I just want to end this by saying thank you so much for being on the show, Noah. And you brought up another great point where you said people want to know why you keep getting back up, why you keep saying yes. And we don't always know when we say yes to an adoption if we're bringing home that child. But what I can say is I fought for every situation that was presented in front of me. And I think you can say that too on a different level, not maybe not adoption, but when things have come your way to make a change or to do something for someone else, you would say yes and you would do it. And that's what makes you a great person, Victor. Oh, you're too nice. You're too nice. But I do think that when you actually come from adversity, a great deal of adversity in your life, you have a deep sense of justice that you want to make sure that the things are working out the way they should work out, that people are not gaming the system, that there is integrity in our judicial branch of government and those types of things. So there is a deep sense of, uh, I think, treating people equitably and having a fair resolution to disputes. I think you get a sense of that when you have, have to overcome much in your life. How can people get a hold of you? So you can get a hold of me at vicforgov.com or you can go to Facebook backslash vic4gov. That's the number four gov. Please check us out. We list our events every week. We're doing tonight. I'm actually after your interview, I'm heading up to Fort Collins to give a speech tonight in Fort Collins. This morning I gave a speech at Evergreen. But you can check out our website anytime to see what our calendar is for the following week. We'd love to see you at one of my events. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Noah, for being here. Thanks for having me. Don't what a great show. I just enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, what a great show and what an important subject. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.
Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.